to our latest series of the Reach Next Generation podcast. I am Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they faced throughout their careers, how they became them, and what tips they have for girls of my age. Okay, everyone, it's amazing guest time. Today, my guest is Ify Thomas, who is a great friend of Reach. Ify is an author and speaker who writes and talks about how to build confidence and self-esteem. Ify has lived a jam-packed professional career, starting off as a dancer on the hit show The X Factor, um, which, of course, everyone has heard of, um, performing on BBC TV shows, creating girl groups, appearing in commercials and music videos. She has also sung on stage with amazing artists like Leona Lewis, Elton John and Paul McCartney. Ify dedicates her time to empower and encourage parents to help their children figure out what their unique talent might be. Ify is also the co-founder, sorry, the founder of The Confidence Star, a confidence building tool for children and adults. And The Confidence Star are already in schools. I have one person myself that Ify gave to me at the last podcast. Uh, they're in schools, nurseries and play centres. And Ify's dream is to have a star shining in every home. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ify. You have had quite the variety full career. But can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role you have today? Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Grace, for such a great intro. Um, Thank you. Yes, I'm glad to be a um, a friend of Roots. I think what you're doing is absolutely extraordinary. And I wish there was something like this when I was younger. Um, so how did I get to where I am today? Is that the question? If I yeah, okay. So um, it, it's really strange because Steve Jobs, the person who created the Apple phone and the Mac and things that everyone know about, he says that you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots when you look backwards. And I I really love that idea that you have to look backwards. So with that question, it makes me then go back in my own timeline to see how did all those things connect to where I am now? So where I am now is I have my own media company and I'm able to help people share their stories and deliver the confidence star and really, I suppose, deliver a message of you can do it to as many people as possible. Now, where did I get that from? I think it's because as a child, I always felt like I wasn't good enough I always felt like you know maybe I can't do it or maybe the only way I'm going to succeed is if someone picks me or chooses me or I win the lottery you know so I um didn't always have that confidence that I have now but when I started to do the reading and learning and going to seminars I remember I was working, I was 19 years old, and I was supporting my dance career by doing a sales job. Um, And I remember the sales company took me and all of the staff to this event in um, Kensington, um, um, Kensington Gardens. And a speaker came from, I think it, a place called, (laughs) somewhere really up north, beginning with a B. What's it called? Brad. Uh, Brad. Bradford. Oh, yes. Like up, up north. And he came down and um, he um, 
had this really strong northern accent and he talked and he talked about the idea that yes we can he was saying he just kept saying yes you can yes i can and he's and i and it's first time i thought no one's ever told me that line you don't yes i can and he had a book called believe you can i might even have it with believe you can and it's a thin little book mm-hmm. but i remember after he'd finished speaking he left me with so many new ideas of what was possible for me and i was i was fired up and i was excited so um i just kind of left the event and had some thick thoughts to ponder with and then went back to my life i didn't do anything i heard it i was inspired and i did nothing oh. and then years later i started to re- do lots of reading around personal development and eventually i came across a gentleman called brian tracy who um teaches you how to have um, the book's called Maximum Achievement, How to Achieve Everything. And I started reading the book, listening to the audio book, watching his YouTube. And it was like, it was like this sound like, oh, it was like this <laughs> moment. I, like, I understand how I can actually win at life. I get it. And I just remember after I got the information, like the download, the info, I thought, why didn't someone teach me this 10 years ago? You know, I thought, if only someone would have told me how to think, how to be, how to act, how to achieve the goals. If someone would have given me the blueprint years ago, it would have saved me from all the heartache and all the pain. There were so many days in my youth where I felt depressed and anxious and overwhelmed and where I didn't like myself. There were so many painful days as a young person that I probably could have um, avoided if I knew that it all starts in the power of the words that you say to yourself. I was just like, why has nobody told me this? Um, and then that's kind of spurred me on to build who and become who I am. But then as soon as I figured out the strategy to get to be successful, to be happy, and success is different for everyone. Some people say success is when you become the director in your life, when you're the boss of your mind. And I see that to be success when you, no one can get inside your head and make you feel a certain way and that you believe in yourself that's success to me so once I had managed to understand how to do that and bottle it up I thought I've got to share it with the world and I just didn't know the best way so that's why I created a book to begin with then I became a speaker then I helped people with their stories became a coach but everything I do reinforcing the message to as many people as I can that you can do anything you put your mind on and you do not need someone to pick you. You can pick yourself. Um, so that's kind of how it, I got to this point. Well, that's definitely quite the, quite the story, I have to say. <laughs> I just can't believe, and I thought this when you were saying, I can't believe that after that speech that you saw in Kensington Gardens, you didn't immediately think, oh, I have to spread this word. And you took so long to figure it out. But I'm so glad that you have. Thank you so much. And yeah, it took a long time. And I think that happens a lot. We hear things that we like. We go, oh, that's nice. And then we might never do anything about it ever. So, um, yeah, that happened to me. (laughs) So when you were maybe younger at school, did you have any idea what you wanted to maybe do or fulfill further on in life? I did, actually. There was two things. I really, I used to sign up for debating society. 
I really like to, some people might say I like to argue, but I really have always had this desire for justice. And I've, and I've always been able to communicate and speak um, confidently in the sense that I can get my point across. It might take me a long time to get it across, but I will stand up for what's right. So at school, I really enjoyed um, like asking. Well, I remember me and another girl, we were doing debating society. And one of the thing, notions we put forward was that we should get longer breaks because what had happened is, is if you were going, if you were at school and you were in the maths department, which is on the furthest part of the school, when the bell rings, if that's your lesson before lunch, you actually lose seven minutes of your lunch walking to the dinner hall. And I was, and we did it. We, we put forward to the school to say, look, if you are in that block, you should get an additional seven minutes because of the walk time. Otherwise, you end up with a reduced lunch, which affects how you um, perform in the next lesson after lunch. And um, we, me and my friend, we really fought it. And we actually did win. They did oh, listen to us. Um, and I realized the power of a voice. to make, You can change things. So I wanted to be a solicitor. I wanted to be a solicitor, I wanted to be, and I grew up on a program, which I'm sure you won't know, um, but it's called Ali McBeal, and it's like this program about a lawyer, and I, I love, when I was about 13, I used to watch it and imagine going into the courtroom, and um, so that, and um, also I really always wanted to be a dancer, I, I felt like dancing was the only thing I could do really well, because even though I wanted to be a lawyer, my grades at school weren't particularly good. I wasn't at the top of the class or anything like that. So, um, But I thought, you know, I could be a lawyer, but I had the decision where I thought, I can be a lawyer at any age, but I can't be a dancer at any age. So I'm going to do my dancing first. And um, I left my school and went straight at 16 to the Erdang Academy, which is one of the most renowned performing arts colleges in London, and um, went and trained there on a full scholarship. So um, I knew quite early that I wanted to be on stage and be dancing and performing. So, yeah, I knew. Well, is there anything that you maybe learned from your time in that dancing college? Yes, Grace, I learned a lot. I, I, well, when I went in, even though I went in on a full scholarship, I remember feeling like an imposter. I remember feeling like someone's going to find out that I'm not as good and they're going to take it away and I'm going to be embarrassed and I'm going to have to go back home with my tail between my legs. And I did feel like I wasn't good enough um, when I arrived there, even though if you were looking at me from the outside in, I'd look really confident and no one would know. But I, I was always worried. And um, one thing that I learned from there, I learned so much from the Erdogan Academy. It's an incredible performing arts school. But this is something that has stayed with me and it's helped me in my business. So I was training um, in ballet, contemporary jazz, musical theatre, singing and acting. And I remember there was four floors. And in the morning, it's really cold. The first when we started back in September, you know, it's like when you go back, it starts to get cold. And my first lesson was on the top floor. And there was something like 38 steps to walk up and they're like high steps. And it's like, it kills your thighs walking up. But it was my first lesson ballet um, with my ballet teacher, Mrs. Pope. And um, I hadn't done loads of ballet before I went to the Erdang. I was more of a contemporary freestyle jazz dancer. So when I got there, I remember walking up those stairs, the 36 stairs, and your legs are burning by the time you get to the top. 
And I'm going to go and stand next to the ballet bar, place my hand on the bar, wearing my leotard, um, shoulders down, look in the mirror. And then as I um, slide my foot out to do, um, I'm, I'm probably just, you know, just going to move it into second position or to do um, maybe a, a développé, a low développé where your leg comes up. And the ballet teacher looked at my feet and she kind of was like, looked disgusted because <laughs> <laughs> my feet were like, ballet dancers feet supposed to be beautifully appointed, but mine were always sickled, so they'd always kind of, they, they weren't very pretty feet at all. And I knew they weren't, but I couldn't get my brain to get my foot to, to... anyway, she walked past and she looked at it and she was like, like her face looked disgusted by how awful my dance street were. And I could see that she was disgusted, but she didn't say anything. She just looked. And then this happened regularly for, for weeks. She just looked. Oh, no. I know. And then she came up to me and she goes, we need to sort those feet out. She was like, the problem is your metatarsal muscle is not strong. And I was like, what's a metatarsal? <laughs> I had no idea. And basically, your metatarsal muscle is like, if this is your foot, it's the one, the muscle right here on the top. She said, if I strengthen this muscle on my foot, it will, what it will do is it will start to pull my toe so it becomes more pointed. And I was, and she goes, here's an exercise. And it's like an exercise where your foot's flat on the ground and you're moving the tiniest muscle that you can't even see the muscle moving. It's just so, like, so small. And I'd sit there, and if you walked in, you'd think, what's she doing? Because nothing's happening, but it is. So anyway, I would do that, like, all the time. She'd say, go and stand over there and do that. Like, there's no point dancing with those three. <laughs> so I would um, so I would be doing those, those like, those <laughs> muscles every day for, like, three years. And by the time we got to showtime... My feet, when they lifted off the ground, they were just beautiful, beautifully, beautiful and, you know, gorgeous. And to this day, they are lovely. And um, what I learned from that experience is it doesn't matter where you start. It, and, and you just need to keep repeating. The success is the results of lots of little things that nobody ever sees. Nobody saw me working on those muscles. But me doing it over and over and over and over and over and over again consistently created the foot that I wanted. And I think the main thing I learned from that whole, that whole um, isolated experience is that you just have to keep going for yeah. as long as it takes. No one said if you do it in three years, your foot would be pointed. I was willing to do it for 10 years till I, till I got a pointed foot. And, and also the ballet teacher says if you do it, your foot will improve. So because I knew she knows what she's talking about, I was willing to do it. So I think the lesson is, is that when you find somebody who knows what you should do to get you where you want to be, listen to them. Don't overthink it and just keep doing it until you get the result you want. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe your ballet teacher was so judgmental about your feet. I know, and do you know what? I went to, I went back 15 years later to a show at the Lyceum Theatre where the Lion King is, because in honour of one of the the um, Lion King choreographers who passed away, Thea Barnes. I went there and I saw her, and um, I was like so happy to see her. She was such a big deal in my life, and I took my shoe off. And said, look, 
She was just smiling at me and said, well done, well done. Uh, So, uh, yeah, you know, even though she was judgmental, she cared enough because she could have just ignored me and not told me to do anything and my foot would still be sickled. (laughs) So the world is changing so much and super quickly. What do you think maybe the world might look like for women in 10 years' time? Or what do you maybe hope it may look like? Wow, that is a big question. What do I hope the world would look like for women in 10 years' time? Well, one thing that I hope to see is is to be seeing more women in leadership positions, for women to be getting paid the same amount as their male counterpart. My um, vision for in 10 years' time is that when you see a huge successful company and then it says on company's house, that it's a woman who runs it, not to be shocked, not to be like, oh, my gosh, can you believe it? Take a screenshot. Let's talk about it for six weeks, for it just to be a normal thing, you know, a normal thing. Oh, yeah, the head of the number one company in the world is this female. And for me to be like, oh, yeah, no biggie. Like, so it's so normal that it's just not worth having a dance about. That's what I hope to see. Okay. So... Um, As part of our Reach Next Generation Summit, we look at diversity and opportunity for young girls from the black and minority communities. Um, Do you think that there is a more open conversation about racial equality since the Black Lives Matter movement started? Oh, wow. Yes, absolutely. There has been it has been a shift. I mean, for me, even up until that point, I would never talk about race to fellow black people straight Mm -hmm. ever. And I remember what happened. I never, it just was, I never would, if I saw a black female, um, I wouldn't ever bring up the fact that we were black and the issues that we have. Because it never seemed like there was a space for it. And it and it might have seemed like a bit like you're a Debbie Downer. And it, there was never an opportunity. It, it just didn't seem like a normal thing to do. But I remember in June, July, when, when, when the George Floyd um, murder happened, I remember actually we were out for lunch, me, my partner and my two sons, and we were served by a black um, waitress called Tia. And, and um, I said to her, and it was like the same week, I said to her, how are you coping with everything that's happened? And she, we just started talking about, you know, what it means to be black and what it meant to see that happen. Um, and I never would have, ever up until that time spoke about race to strangers but it felt like we all became super connected and super supportive um and I, I think that the black lives matter movement has meant that it's okay to even talk about being black without somebody thinking that you have a chip on your shoulder or you're trying to you know take the conversation into a negative space but more people and especially our white white friends like you who are saying let's talk about it let's talk about it it's it's been incredible and it can only keep getting better yeah hopefully it definitely does um now throughout your very complicated career i may say have you (laughs) had any mentors or have there been anyone that you particularly admire wow yes i couldn't have done it without mentors you know, I, I just, I wouldn't, I would not be able to be where I am without a mentor. And I have had so many, 
even people who don't even know that they're my mentors. So if we look at, to begin with, world-class universal mentors, people like Oprah Winfrey, even though I haven't worked with her and she hasn't physically been my mentor, watching her and listening to her and studying her books, that's mentored me. And watching TED Talks of thought leaders and people with ideas that they want to spread to the world, they've mentored me. But then actual physical mentors, my best friend, who is actually, um, I think she's like 25 years older than me. So she's um, much older than me, but we've been best friends now for 15 years. She's been like a shining light for me. She's the one who made me force myself to, you know, take control of who I am. And she was somebody, she's a very strong, fiery northern lass from Wigan. And she always used to just tell, don't let people talk to you like that or treat you like that. And she also mentored me from the show business side of things. Because as dancers and performers, we learn how to show, do the show. But no one teaches you about the business, not then. So we were very good at performing, but not probably any very good at looking after our finances or being able to manage our money or to be able to create wealth. We weren't good at any of that stuff. So she's really helped me with that. And then I've had so many mentors and people who've opened the door for me. You know, um, there's a lady called Kate, um, um, Kate, and she, um, Kate Parks, she was the person who would book all the singers and performers for X Factor. And she was a friend of a friend who then, you know, gave me an opportunity. And then when she saw that I was quite good at leadership and organising, gave me an opportunity to start being really part and instrumental of recruiting the singers for the performers. And um, if she didn't give me that opportunity, then I maybe wouldn't have been had access to be able to perform on stages with Leona Lewis and Elton John and people like that. So, um, you know, every step of the way, there has been somebody holding a door open for me, reaching up and pulling me up, guiding me in my ear. You know, there's always been someone and um, I I really couldn't have got where I have without them. So, yeah, so many mentors. It's unreal. So finally, and this is a new question for all of our guests this series, um, that is, if you had to describe yourself in three words, only three, what do you think there would be? I will give a slight warning, and I have said this before. It sounds easy, but trust me, it is not. (laughs) Well, only three words. Cool, black and confident. Okay, yeah, that sums it up pretty well. And I think that's a great end off for today's podcast. Um, well, I really enjoyed chatting with you today, Ify. Thank you so, so, so much for being here today. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their own careers. Keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as they talk to many more brilliant women. More details about us and our summits are at www.reachnextgeneration.com. And a big thank you to all our partners and sponsors, Ideal Standard, Barclays, St. Modwen, Green King and Levi Strauss.